invite you to take your Bibles with you at this time and turn with me once again to the book of Isaiah. And this morning we are in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. And when you get there, we're only going to read from verses 1 to 10. So when you get there, would you rise out of reverence for God's word as we read Isaiah 49. Hear the word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. It surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. This is the holy word of God. You may be seated. Last week, if you recall, we studied Isaiah chapter 45 together. And today we are looking at Isaiah chapter 49. So that means, of course, that we are skipping over chapters 46, 47, and 48. And the reason we are doing this is because these chapters repeat a lot of what we have already seen in our study. But I do definitely recommend them to your own personal reading. In chapter 46, God directly challenges the false gods of Babylon and he demonstrates how much greater he is than they are. And then in chapter 47, God addresses the city of Babylon directly and condemns her to destruction. And then in chapter 48, God speaks to Israel and he tells them to come forth out of Babylon. And this brings us to chapter 49 this morning. And one of the main reasons that we have been studying this section 
of Isaiah from chapter 40 to 53 is because there are four passages that talk about a special individual servant of the Lord. And many times in these, in these chapters, as we have seen, it is Israel who is addressed as God's chosen servant. We've seen this already several times. But there are these four passages known as the servant psalms, where a servant is talked about who is clearly not corporate Israel, but rather he is an individual who will bring salvation to Israel. And if you recall, we looked at the first of these servant psalms when we studied Isaiah chapter 42 together. And today we're going to see the second servant psalm here in Isaiah chapter 49. The two remaining servant songs are found in chapters 50 and 53. So the four servant songs are chapter 42, 49, 50, and 53. And in this song, the servant himself speaks. We get to hear the voice of this servant. And another important detail from this song is that it is here that we begin to learn that the servant is a suffering servant. That's not a detail we learned from the first one in chapter 42. It is now here that we begin to open the door to say, or to see rather, ah, this servant is a servant who suffers. He is a servant of God who will endure suffering. In the third psalm, in chapter 50, we will see that this suffering is a physical suffering. And then in the fourth and final psalm, in chapter 53, we will see the extent of the servant's physical and spiritual suffering, and for what reason God has ordained that his servant should suffer. So from here on in, with regard to the last three servant songs, we can now begin to talk about them as the songs of the suffering servant. And if you recall, the risen Jesus, when he had risen from the dead and he appeared to his disciples, it says in Luke chapter 24, it says that Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And also the Apostle Peter, in one of his sermons in Acts chapter 3, he said, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. And what the risen Lord is talking about, and what the Apostle Peter is talking about, is mainly found in these three servant songs that we're going to be looking at. So turn with me. Just back to Isaiah 42, so that we can be refreshed of just a little bit in the first servant song. This is the first song of the servant. Let us refresh our memories on what was first said here. And if you recall from our sermon on Isaiah 42, we went to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, to see how the New Testament took this first servant song. And what did it do? It applied it to Jesus Christ. And if the first servant song is to be applied to Jesus Christ, 
then of course, as Christians, we believe that all four songs, sermon songs, are talking about him too. So as we just uh, refresh our memories in the first sermon song in Isaiah 42, let me draw your attention to just a few details from chapter 42 that we will see come up again in our passage this morning in chapter 49. And so we will see a, a strong connection between the first and the second servant songs. So just look with me quickly. I'm in chapter 42 now. Look at verse 1. What does it say? It says, I have put my spirit upon him. So that's the first connection. I've put my spirit upon him. Secondly, verse 6, if you look quick. Verse 6, it says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. It's another tie between the two, as we will see. Thirdly, also in verse 6, God says, I will make you a light for the nations. And then in verse 7, the fourth connection or tie is it says that the servant will bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. It refers to darkness as well. So what are the four connections that we will see in our song this morning? Well, that the Spirit is with this servant. He will act as a covenant for the people. He will be a light to the nations, and he will bring out prisoners from the dungeon. And so let's flip back now to our passage this morning that we're looking at, Isaiah 49. And we'll see these same points being raised here. So where does it say that the Holy Spirit will be with the, the servant in this song? Well, actually, we have to cheat a little bit on that one. We have to go back into chapter 48. If you just look back, hopefully it's on the same page. Chapter 48, verse 16. 48, 16. It says this, Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And then this is the key part here. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. And so here in chapter 48, God has been speaking. But then suddenly, out of nowhere, out of the blue, the servant interjects. And he says, and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. This is a special proclamation because we see God, the servant whom God has sent, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, all packaged in one verse here. And so from a Christian perspective, we see all three members of the triune God in this verse. Just like at the baptism of Jesus, where the Father speaks from heaven, the Son is coming up out of the water, and the Spirit is descending as a dove. But this is also where we see the first connection with chapter 42, the first servant song. That the Holy Spirit of God is with the servant. So for the second connection, that the servant will be a covenant for the people, we see this finally in our passage, 49, verse 8. You look there quickly. It says, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. All right. For the second connection that we see, or that the servant, uh, or rather we're on the third connection now, the third connection between the second and uh, the first and second servant songs is that the servant will be a light for the Gentile nation. 
Well, we see that repeated in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, the second half, it says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And finally, the first servant song had said that the servant would bring prisoners out from the dungeon. Do we see that here in the second servant song? Yes, we see that in verse 9. Saying to the prisoners, come out, and those who are in darkness, appear. So it is very clear that there is a strong connection between the first servant song in chapter 42 and now the second servant song here in chapter 49. We have made a sure connection between these two. And we know that the New Testament directly identifies Jesus Christ as this servant. So now let us study the second song of the suffering servant. This morning we're going to study our passage through three points. First of all, verses 1 to 3, the servant is identified with Israel. The servant is identified with Israel. Secondly, the servant's suffering reconciles the people to God. Verses 4 to 7, the servant's suffering reconciles the people to God. And thirdly, verses 8 to 10, the servant shall bring freedom and salvation to his people. The servant shall bring freedom and salvation to his people. Let's begin with our first point, where we see in verses 1 to 3 that the servant is identified with Israel. So verse 1 again, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So in verse 1, we see that an individual is speaking. For he says, From the body of my mother, he named, he meaning God, he named my name. And this also speaks of the servant's status as the chosen one. For God has called him from his birth. And then in verse 2, we see that the word of the servant is compared with a sharp sword and a polished arrow. This means that the words that the servant speaks cut deep and just, flying quickly like an arrow to its target, straight and true. But here it is also suggested that the servant is hidden away by God, preserved for the time when God will reveal him. For he is hidden in the shadow of God's hand, it says. Hidden away in God's quiver like a secret weapon. And then in verse 3, God addresses the servant and says that he will be glorified through him. So we see this contrast. At first the servant is hidden. But then he will be manifest to bring great glory to God. But what's interesting in this verse, verse 3, is how God addresses the servant as Israel here. And so how does a, a non-Christian Jewish interpreter or Jewish reader, how do they read this? Well, a Jewish interpreter looks at this and says, See, this is not talking about an individual here. This is definitely not talking about Jesus. Because look here, the servant is directly called Israel. 
How could it be any more clear? And we've already seen how many times Israel slash Jacob has been called God's chosen servant. So the servant here must be corporate Israel. That is how a Jewish reader would read this. But the problem with that is verses 5 and 6. If you look with me there. Because what does it say in verses 5 and 6? Well, here it says that the servant will bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to him in verse 5. And in verse 6, he says this to the servant. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved Israel. And so we must ask, how can corporate Israel raise up the tribes of Israel and bring back the preserved of Israel? Israel cannot save Israel. That doesn't make any sense. So what makes much better sense is that in verse 3, God is identifying the suffering servant with Israel. So that the servant represents Israel. That the servant in his person is the true Israel. And in the previous chapter, chapter 48, we haven't studied together, but I'll just tell you. God had called Israel all sorts of names. He called Israel obstinate and stiff-necked. He called Israel a rebel who deals treacherously, who did not pay attention to his commandments. But by contrast, the suffering servant is righteous and true. He brings God glory. He gathers Israel to God. He is a light to the nations. He will be a covenant for the people of God. And so the suffering servant cannot be corporate Israel, but rather he is the embodiment of Israel. He represents the people of God. Where Israel, the nation, failed, he succeeded. Where Israel, the nation, fell into sin over and over and over again, by contrast, the suffering servant was a righteous and obedient son. And this prophecy of, of the suffering servant can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Son of God who lived a perfect, sinless life under the law. He was the perfect human being, innocent, pure, and righteous in the eyes of God. And because he was such a son, therefore, he can represent his people before God the Father. And so Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, this was a verse we looked at in our series on Hebrews, but here it is once again. It says this, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this reminds us as Christians of something very important. This is very important for us to understand why it is so crucial that Jesus Christ was fully human. He was fully human so that he could represent us, so that we could be identified with him, so that he could take our name upon himself, so that he could truly take our sin upon his own head. 
if he were not fully and truly human, then his substitutionary sacrifice would not be fully true. In order for our salvation to be purchased, a human being needed to do it. And this is why the Apostle Paul could say in Galatians 2 verse 20, remember what he says there? I have been crucified with Christ. So there is an identification there between the believer and Christ hanging on the cross. That means when Jesus hung on the cross, I was hanging on that cross too. When Jesus died on that cross, I died right along with him. Why? Because he represented me before the Father. Because he was my substitute. Because he took the name of his people upon himself and identified himself with us. And our name is Israel. The suffering servant took the name of Israel upon himself to be identified with his people Israel. Our second point this morning is this. The servant's suffering reconciles the people to God. Verses 4 to 7. As we mentioned earlier, it is in this second servant song that the idea of suffering is introduced. We see it for the first time. We see a glimpse of it, I should say, in verse 4, where the servant says this, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. The servant views his work and ministry as seemingly all for nothing. That he has worked so hard and yet has seen no fruit. And yet he trusts completely in the Lord to justify him and reward him in the end. And we know that Jesus faced much opposition in his ministry. And in the very end, he was all alone, abandoned, ridiculed, beaten, spat upon. Anyone looking on from the outside at that point would have said that, that this guy's entire ministry and his life's work was all for nothing. That he was nothing. That it had all come to nothing. And yet he trusted in God. To deliver him from death. But we see another description of the suffering. In verse 7. Where the servant is called. The one deeply despised. Abhorred by the nation. So the servant is deeply despised. It says here. That means he is scorned. Mocked. Held in contempt. Thought of as nothing. He's also abhorred by the nation. That's a very strong word, isn't it? Abhorred. If you abhor something, that means you find it disgusting and offensive. And indeed, the Hebrew word underlying that word abhorred there is the word for abomination. When the nation looks at the servant, he is an abomination in their eyes. This is indeed a source of suffering. He is the suffering servant. 
But then the second half of verse 7, look at that. The, the second half of verse 7 turns the tables. <coughs> it says, kings shall see this servant, and they will get up off their thrones. Princes, who are the most powerful nobles, shall get on their knees in prostrated worship before the suffering servant. For they will recognize that God has chosen him. <coughs> So in the first half of verse 7, this servant is hated by the people as something revolting and disgusting. But then he is glorified to such a great extent that kings and princes must bow low before him with their faces to the ground. And so the servant, it says in this one verse, this one beautiful verse, the servant goes from suffering to glory, from being hated to being worshipped. In verse 6, the servant is the instrument of salvation, not just for the Jewish people, not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentile nations, so that God's salvation may reach to the end of all the earth. Again, only Jesus Christ can be this servant. He is the one who suffered and was despised by his own nation. And yet in his risen and reigning glory. Kings have bowed down before him. And especially at his return. We know that every knee shall bow. He is the one through whom salvation has come. For both the Jews and for the Gentiles. For only in him is salvation found. It is only through repentant faith in Jesus Christ. And his sacrifice on the cross that a person can be saved. Our third and last point this morning comes from verses 8 to 10. The point is this, the servant shall bring freedom and salvation to his people. So verse 8 says, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, the key phrase here in this verse is that the servant will be a covenant to the people. And God, as we saw, God had already said this about the servant back in chapter 42 in the first servant song. But what does that mean? We didn't really look at it when we studied that chapter, so let's take a moment now. What does that mean? That God will give the servant as a covenant to or for the people. It means that the servant himself will be the basis of a covenant between God and his people. It will not be a covenant like in the Old Testament that was cut on the basis of an animal. And an animal's blood, whether a lamb or a goat or a bull. Instead, it says here, the servant himself will be the basis of the covenant. And through the prophet Jeremiah, God had promised to make a new covenant. With his people, not like the old one written on stone tablets, but rather this new covenant will be written directly on the hearts of his people. Jeremiah 31. But in Jeremiah, we didn't learn what the basis of the new covenant is. But it's rather here in Isaiah that we learn that the basis of the new covenant is this suffering servant who will be hated by his people, but then glorified and worshipped. 
Did you even notice in our text, First uh, Corinthians 11, what does Jesus say when he takes a cup? He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is bringing all these things together. He is the suffering servant who is the basis of the new covenant that God has made with his people. It is based on his blood shed upon the cross. It says here that the servant will establish the land and apportion heritages to the desolate. Now if we read that in the light of Jesus Christ, that is going beyond just the physical land of Israel and providing just a, a physical inheritance for the poor. If we read this in the light of Jesus Christ, we see that it means that he will establish the great land, the ultimate promised land, the kingdom of heaven. And the inheritance he provides to the poor in spirit is eternal life. Verse 9 says, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. And here again, do we take this to mean simply that the the servant will just go to the jails and open all the doors and help those in hiding to come out of their hiding places? Or is this talking about a deeper spiritual reality? When we read this in the light of Jesus Christ, we see that the, spirit, the deeper spiritual reality that's being talked about here is those enslaved as prisoners to sin. Those in darkness is walking about in ignorance. And so Jesus declares in John chapter 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It is the son of God who sets prisoners and slaves free from their bondage to sin. And in the same chapter, Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It is Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. Only in his light will we not walk in darkness. All is darkness apart from him. The last part of our passage says, They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. Verse 10, They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will leave them, and by springs of water will guide them. Again, is this just talking about physical hunger and physical thirst, which food and water satisfy? Or is it talking about something deeper, something that goes beyond this? In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So if the point of this section is that the servant will bring freedom and salvation to his people, we need to understand that Christ brought both freedom and salvation in the fullest and truest sense. And so this morning as we close, and as we consider this song of the suffering servant, has the Lord Jesus Christ identified himself with you as your representative and substitute? Has the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary reconciled you to God? Has Jesus as the suffering servant 
brought you freedom from sin and salvation from the just punishment of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words from Isaiah. Prophesied so long before the coming of Jesus Christ. Yet only he can truly fulfill these things. That he is the suffering servant. The true and perfect servant. Who truly would be a covenant between you and your people. Who truly would be a light to the nations. Who truly would be who would suffer and yet would be glorified. So, Father, we thank you for how the gospel is even preached in the Old Testament. And yes, it is under shadows and um, and shrouded in, in clouds. But, Father, still it is there. And when we read it in the light of Jesus Christ, it ought to jump out at us, Father. That he is the one who identified himself with his people Israel with his church, with his elect people, so that he would save them. And so, Father, we are grateful, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, who have surrendered our lives to him, we know that we are a part of his people, that he has identified himself with us, that he is the basis of our covenant with you, and he is the one who has freed us from sin and give us eternal salvation, and for that, we can be eternally grateful. So, Father, I pray that these things would echo in our hearts and minds as we consider the gospel preached by Isaiah in the Old Testament. Father, may you change us by your Holy Spirit who dwells within us to conform us to the image of Christ. It's in his precious name we pray all these things. Amen.